Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. As part of our study of end-time events, today we will be looking at a portion of Scripture from Matthew 25 for John's message, The Judgment of the Nations. I want us just to think about the setting of this judgment. When will it happen? Where will it be? Who will be there? What will it be like? So let me try to explain that first. Remember from our study of Revelation, we have learned that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will leave heaven and come back to this earth, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that will instigate at the battle of Armageddon, and then Jesus will travel from northern Israel down south to Jerusalem, and he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and for a thousand years, we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. It will be a time of unprecedented peace on the earth. There'll be no wars, there'll be no friction, there'll be no strife. The lion will lay down with the lamb, children will play with snakes. It will be a wonderful time. We will be with Jesus. When he leaves heaven, we will follow Jesus out of heaven and back down to the earth. You say, well, now how are we going to get to heaven? Well, remember, when we die, we go to heaven as Christians, and then at the rapture of the church, our bodies will come up out of the graves, and our bodies will be reunited with our living souls, and we'll have our resurrection bodies. And so before the second coming takes place, place. We'll already be in heaven with Jesus. When he comes back, we'll come back with him. We'll follow him to the battle of Armageddon. We'll go to Jerusalem and we'll be with him on the earth for a thousand years. Now, at the beginning of this thousand year period, a judgment will take place on the earth known as the judgment of the nations. Now, remember this. When Jesus comes back, the only people living on the earth will be people who have survived the tribulation period. That is, people who, when the rapture takes place, will be unsaved, so they didn't go to heaven, they'll still be on earth, and during the next seven years, during the great tribulation, we have spent months in our study of Revelation studying about the great tribulation, and we know that many people will be killed during the tribulation. We also know that many people will survive and make it all the way to the end of the tribulation. Some of those people will have gotten saved during the seven-year period of tribulation. Many others will have not gotten saved. They will have rejected Jesus Christ. And so when Christ comes back, there will be saved people and unsaved people on the earth, and He, at this judgment, will judge them. Now, what does this mean? It means if you're saved you will not be at this judgment because you won't be on the earth when Christ comes back. You'll be coming back to the earth with Jesus, but you won't already be here. You'll be coming back. So you won't be a part of this judgment. We also know that if you are unsaved, how about people here today? In in the first service, there were three people who got saved. So that means at the first of that service, they were unsaved. And so had they not gotten saved, and stayed unsaved, and then the rapture takes place, and they miss it, and they survive the seven-year period of tribulation, whether they got saved or didn't get saved, they would be at the judgment of the nations. Now, we also know there are many people who are unsaved who will die before this happens, so they won't be at this judgment either. And so, 
You know, what are the odds of somebody in this room or somebody listening at home today, what are the odds that one day you will be at the judgment of the nations? I would say the odds are small. You say, well, John, if the odds are small that we'll be there, why would we even study it? Well, first of all, because it's in the Bible. That's reason enough, right? And second of all, we learn some lessons about God, about us, and about the basis on which God will one day judge all of us, whether we're at this judgment or not, that we can easily apply to our lives. And so the setting of this judgment is that at the second coming of Jesus Christ and before the millennium takes place. And so after this judgment is over, those who are unsaved will be sent away from the presence of God. They will be sent to a place called Hades where they will begin to be punished for their sins. Ultimately, they'll go to hell. Those at this judgment who are saved, they will enter the millennial kingdom with Christ so that I would say it this way, when the millennial reign of Christ begins in earnest, that is, after this judgment that takes place at the beginning of the millennium, when the reign of Christ begins in earnest, everybody on the earth at that time will be saved. Now, as we saw in previous sermons, the millennium is going to last a thousand years. Generations will be born. Many of those born will not get saved, and they will one day be deceived by the devil. We've already dealt with that. But what I want you to see is at the beginning of the millennium, everybody on the earth will be saved. But before the millennial reign begins at this judgment, not everybody will be saved. Jesus will be separating the saved from the unsaved. The language he uses here, the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And so that is the reason for the judgment, to separate the saved from the unsaved. Now, Matthew chapter 25, I normally would not read in a corporate worship service this many verses at one time. I would normally describe it and maybe read three or four verses. But today, I want to begin in verse 31 of Matthew 25, and I want to read down through verse 46. These are the words of Jesus as he described this judgment of the nations. And let me say now that even though we call it the judgment of the nations, it's not that nations will be judged as a whole. It's not like Jesus is going to say America this way, Argentina that way, you know, Italy here and some other country there. No, individuals will be judged. And so sometimes in the Bible, we read that word nations, and it's referring to individual people who make up the nations. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, this is the second coming of Jesus, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations, that is all the people that made up all the nations, will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. 
Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. They will not enter the millennial reign of Christ, certainly not heaven, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus has told us here about the judgment of the nations. Now, what are some lessons that we can learn from this judgment? that we can apply to our lives right here and right now. I want to mention several. Number one, and I think this is where it all begins, there are two categories of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. Here Jesus described them as the sheep and the goats. We look at people and we make judgments about people, and we shouldn't do it, but we do it based on a lot of different determinations. Are they kind? Are they unkind? Do they have money? Do they have no money? Are they educated? Are they uneducated? Are they a Democrat? Are they a Republican? But when God looks down from heaven and sees all of us who are living on the earth, God's not interested in how much money we have or even how much education we have. It's not, God's not impressed with that. God looks down and God says, that one is saved and that one is lost. That one is a sheep and that one is a goat. That one is on his way to heaven and that one is on her way to hell. And so we learn here at the very beginning that there are two categories of people. And in fact, at this judgment, the only thing Jesus will be doing is separating the wheat and the tares, as it were. To use another one of Jesus' parables, he's separating out the sheep from the goats, the saved from the unsaved. Now he lets us all be together. We shop together. We eat together. We, we do life together. We go to school together. We're all together. And yet there's coming a day when there will be a great separation between the saved and the unsaved. And so I say that today to say this, you're in one of those categories. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. You're either saved or you are unsaved. As one pastor said, you're a saint or you're an ain't. You're one or the other. You can't be in the middle. There are only two categories of people. The second lesson we learn is this. Both groups will be judged based on their actions. Both groups will be judged based on their actions. Those who are saved will be judged. Why? Because they have served God during the tribulation by serving others. They're feeding the hungry. They're giving water to those who are thirsty. They're clothing the naked. They're visiting the sick and those in prison. They're taking strangers in. And so Jesus says this group will be judged on their actions, but this other group will too. They haven't helped anybody. They haven't fed the hungry. They haven't given any water away. They haven't gone and visited anybody in the hospital. They haven't cared about those who are incarcerated. They've ignored the needs, the basic needs of humanity. They have ignored. And so both groups of people will be judged based on their actions. But now think about something. If the sermon stopped here, we might have the idea that we're saved based on our actions. In other words, if we feed the hungry, 
if we clothe the naked, if we give money away, if we visit sick people and go and have a prison ministry, then we're going to heaven. And if we fail to do those things, then we're going to hell. You could conclude that, but that would be wrong. It is not that we're saved by our actions. Our actions are the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. The root of our salvation is our faith in Jesus Christ, a heart that has been born again, a heart that has been changed, a heart that is full of faith in Jesus Christ. And if that root of faith is there, there will be fruit in our lives, which leads to the third lesson that I want to bring out of this judgment. And that is this, our actions reveal our hearts. We're not saved by our actions, but our actions do reveal what is going on in our hearts. I think some people, they, they hear the preacher say, you're not saved by your actions. And in their mind, they just say, well, it doesn't even matter what I do. I'll live however I want to live. Well, no, if you've been saved, it will show in your actions. Now turn back to Matthew chapter seven. I want us to see this more clearly. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about our actions, but more importantly, he's talking about our heart, the condition of our heart that motivates our actions. Matthew chapter seven and verse 15. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now look at verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Say that with me. By their fruits, you will know them. And so it is our actions that reveal the condition of our heart. Someone has said, we're not saved by faith plus works. And that's true. But we are saved by faith that works. And so if our faith is genuine, we will have actions that uh, reflect what is going on in our heart. Again, I want to say this again. Our works, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, all these things, that is the that is the fruit of salvation. That is not the root of salvation. Now, the next lesson I want to cover, I want to mention this. It is the condition of our hearts that matters most, not just our actions. Our actions matter, but they don't matter as much as our heart because it is our heart that is motivating the action. And one thing we know about God, God is always interested in the heart, not just what you do, but why you do it. Like with me, for example, here, I'm standing up here preaching a sermon. I'm standing in front of you, Bible open, talking about God. Now, what could be more spiritual than that? Well, God's not as interested in that as he is my heart. Why am I doing this? What is motivating me? That will be the basis that I will one day be judged on. Not just what I did, that'll be part of it, but why I did what I did. And the same is true for you. Not just what you do. But what motivates you? What drives you to do that? Matthew chapter 7, look down in verse 21. We saw this passage some time back. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, that is the final judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So these people will one day stand before Christ and they will say, Jesus, we had the actions. 
We were prophesying in your name. People who were demon-possessed, we're casting out demons in your name. Lord, look at what we did. And Jesus said, yes, I saw what you did. But I also saw your heart. And your heart had never been changed by me. You didn't have any faith in your heart. You'd never been born again. That wasn't motivated based on your love for me. You were doing all these religious things thinking that you were going to go to heaven because of what you did, but you neglected the more important matter of the heart. And so this says to me that God is interested in the condition of our hearts. It is not just our actions. Think about all the good actions you've already done today. You got up when you could have stayed in bed. You came to church when you could have stayed home. You sang songs when you could have watched the news or the sports, the pregame to the ball game. You've come to church. There you sit right now in God's house. You didn't have to be here. You don't have, nobody made you come. You're here. You're listening. You're paying attention. You're worshiping God. Some of you have already tithed and given your offerings to God. Look at how many good things you've already done today. And that's wonderful. But here's the question. Why are you doing them? Why are you here? Well, there may be a lot of different answers to that question, but it is the heart. The point I'm wanting to make here is that God is interested with the heart. He's interested in what motivates us to do what we do. And that will be the basis, largely, of our judgment one day when we stand before Christ. It is the motive. You know, I've been thinking about this. All last week as I was preparing this sermon, I'm thinking about motives, not just doing the right thing, but why we do the right thing. If you will examine your motives, yes, look at your actions to see if you're doing these things, but also look at your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, one thing that will help you as you try to determine your motives, when you do something, like if you go, I know right now we can't, but if it were normal and you went to visit someone in the nursing home, or you went to visit someone in the hospital, or you just did all manner of things. Here's the question. When you're going to do that, what are you saying to yourself? What is in your mind? And I, I, I thought about that. I think sometimes the, the right thing that should be in our mind, if we're going to do something, we should be having the attitude that says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved me. Thank you, Lord, that you've made it where I can serve. Let's just play like this. is a silly illustration. Let's just use this. Let's just play like today. You said, you know, I want to do something. I want to do something nice for John. And so after the service, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just go up to John, and I'm going to give him a $100 bill. And so you're sitting there right now thinking about it. I'm thinking about today giving John a $100 bill, but I'm not sure if my motives are right. Well, let me say this to you. As the recipient of the $100 bill, I don't care what your motives are. It don't make any difference to me what your motives are. You give me a $100 bill, I just got a $100 bill, right? I got blessed by your action. See, you can go out and feed hungry people and give water to thirsty people and visit people in the hospital and visit people in prison. Your motives may be wrong, but they still got blessed, right? So you bless them, but think about this. You're not going to stand before them in judgment one day. You're going to stand before God. And God's not going to just judge you based on you gave away $100. God's not going to just judge you. You visit somebody in the hospital, nursing home. God's going to judge you based on the motive of your heart. You see, if our motive is thank you, Lord, that tells us our heart is right. You can't impress God. What are you going to do that makes God say, wow, that was a big deal? 
I mean, God made the world. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. You think you're going to impress God? You cannot impress somebody who's greater than you are. You know when I learned that? I mean, I've learned it a lot of times, but one time I learned that several years ago. You know, we've had James Brown. We've been blessed from NFL Today on CBS to have him come speak in our church. One year after one of his visits, he said to me and my dad, he said, now listen, this fall, the Houston Texans have a Thursday night game at NRG Stadium, and CBS is covering that game. I'll be in Houston, and I want the two of you to be my guest at NRG Stadium. Wow, I think, man, this is a big deal. And I said, well, what do we do? How does this work? He said, well, everywhere I go, you're just right. You're my shadow. I'm on the sideline. You're on, everywhere I am, you're with me. I'm going to get you in. You're with me the whole time. Man, I'm just like in, 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 in heaven almost just experiencing this. Well, it got to be halftime, and James said, okay, now come with me. I said, well, where are we going? He said, well, we're going to this room back here called the green room, and there's some food prepared for us. I said, well, who's us? He said, I've told you, you're with me wherever we go, wherever I go. I said, I know, but who else is in that room? He said, well, everybody who's a part of this, pro- Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, Marshall Falk. Now, those of you who are football fans, you're going to like this story. The rest of you just play along just for a minute. He said, he said, we're all, I said, we're going to be in the room with, with, with primetime, with Deion Sanders. I've watched him since Florida State days, man, and plus the NFL career. Michael Irvin, one of my favorite players of all time. I said, we're going to, he said, we're going to be in there. So we go in this green room. James Brown, I was intimidated just to even be with him. I've seen him on TV all my life. These other guys were all sitting around eating. And I'm thinking, these guys are Super Bowl champions. Some of them have won multiple championships. They're all in the Hall of Fame. I mean, this is like NFL royalty. I said this to myself, John, don't say something stupid. (laughs) That's what I said. I said, don't say something. I mean, I said to myself, this would not be the time to say to Dion, Michael Irvin, Marshall Falk, and James Brown, well, you know, back in the day, I played a little ball myself. Now, what am I going to say? NFL royalty, Hall of Fame. What am I going to say? Well, you know, my senior year in high school, I got second team all district. Man, they'd laugh me out of the green room. What did I do? I sat there and listened to their stories and drooled. I come, you know, drool coming out of my mouth. Wow, I can't believe I'm in the room with these guys. What was I experiencing? I was experiencing what I'm saying to you. You can't impress somebody who's greater than you are. Those guys are in the Hall of Fame. They're not interested in my high school career. No, God made the world. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead. He's not impressed by us going out and doing things, but I'll tell you what he is. He's touched when we do the right thing for the right reason. So it's the motive. It's the heart. It is what is in your heart. Now, the last lesson, I'll just mention it quickly, and that is this. The condition of our heart will determine our eternal destinies. If our hearts have been changed, that means we have been saved. That means we are the sheep. And that means we live forever with God in heaven. If our hearts have not been changed, see how simple Jesus is. One thing I love about Jesus, he's so simple. If our hearts have not been changed, doesn't matter if we've done some good things, but if our hearts have not been changed, we're the goats. And that would mean that we would be separated from God forever. And so the question to you today is simply this. Are you a sheep? Are you a goat? John, how can I know? Two ways. Number one, look at your actions. Do you see fruit in your life? I'm not saying perfection, but is the general direction of your life one of loving, serving, and trusting God? Or do you look at your life and you see no fruit? It's all about you. 
It's not got anything to do with helping others or building anybody else up. It's just you, you, you. So you have to decide. look at your actions, but then look at your motives. Why do you do what you do? Do you need a change in the condition of your heart? Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me be the person you created me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.